Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Today is January 16, 2022. I'm Rick Morton, and this is the Defender Bible Study. Well, thanks again for joining us here on the Defender Bible Study as we uh, embark on a new study uh, that we're starting with our staff, and we also want to share with you. We've just finished up our study in the book of Genesis and have worked our way carefully through um, the entire narrative of Genesis, and I think that was a that was a great study for us to to focus on. Um, creation and God's creative intent, but also um, the the gospel narrative that begins in Genesis and the story of redemption uh, as it unfolds in Genesis. And, and we can see, obviously, looking back and, and looking at Genesis in view of the cross about how God was already um, planning and orchestrating and bringing about His will um, and, and ultimately bringing about um, the the um, Advent and the person of Jesus and the season that we've just uh, represented and and have celebrated over Christmas, but then uh, also how that um, that plays forward even to today and and so much of what we saw in the Book of Genesis we can attest to seeing in our world right around us. Well, now we're gonna we're gonna take a little bit of a, a different shift for the next several weeks and and we're gonna be focusing on uh, on a book. Uh, that we'll be studying together, and uh, and that book is going to be Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, a devotional classic, one that many of you no doubt have have read and digested and probably read and, and gone back to over the years. Um, it's uh, one of those books that's really kind of a hallmark for the Christian faith, and so we're going to unpack um, kind of going uh, section by section, and so we'll um, we'll look at each of the each of the books that comprise the entire work of mere Christianity over the next several weeks, taking a couple of the, the chapters or a couple of the sections at a time. But before we get there, um, let's just talk a little bit about uh, about the background for mere Christianity and, and the author, C.S. Lewis. Uh, Clive Staples Lewis was, uh, was born November 29th, 1898, um, and he went home to be with the Lord November 28th, 1963. Um, C.S. Lewis is is well known as a writer of both uh, fiction and nonfiction. He was a professor at both Oxford University and Cambridge University. Um, wrote classics uh, such as the Chronicles of Narnia, the Screw Tape Letters, uh, the Space Trilogy, and um, and also uh, in the area of Christian apologetics, writing Mere Christianity, Miracles, and The Problem of Pain, just to, to name a few. Over 30 books uh, C.S. Lewis wrote and has contributed, and so many of them have been foundational to many of us and in, in, in our faith. Um, Lewis was, of course, a uh, close friend and contemporary of J.R.R. Tolkien um, and the author of the Lord of the Rings series. They served on the English faculty together at Oxford University and were a part of a group called the Inklings, which was a, a, a group of um, an informal literary group that was there um, at Oxford University. Um, 
Lewis himself in his 1955 memoir, Surprised by Joy, talks about the fact that he was um, baptized into the Church of Ireland, but fell away from his faith in his adolescence and, and really was, um, was a thoroughgoing athe atheist um, until the age of 32. Um, he was influenced greatly by Tolkien and, and others that, um, that that were a part of his friend circle, and and ultimately um, the the story of his coming to Christ is that of a, a skeptic who um, for years was dogged by questions, and um, that, that that ultimately he could only resolve and and could only make sense of in terms of. Um, a God who has made the universe with creative intent and a God who holds the world together. And so ultimately, Lewis was drawn to the truth of the gospel um, in, in his wrestling and in the questions that he couldn't put to bed in his own heart um, about, about the world as, as he saw it and tried to interpret it. And I think it's really important to know, even as we delve into mere Christianity, that that's the heart it, with which Lewis comes at uh, this book and this work. He he very much has written it for skeptics. One of the things we're going to see in this very beginning section of book one of uh, Mere Christianity is that he uses very little scripture in his argument about the existence of God and and ultimately uh, the peril that uh, that people are in because of our moral failure. And the reason he does that is because he begins not in a place with skeptics who would affirm the, the veracity of Scripture. He begins thinking about skeptics who, who would probably out of hand reject uh, the authority of Scripture. And, and so he doesn't begin using Scripture as a proof. He starts with um, scientific evidence and with philosophy and with reason as the, the foundation for the beginning of his argument. It's going to make today a little bit interesting because we're not going to really delve that deeply into the scriptures today because we're going to talk more about um, Lewis and, and the arguments that he made. But but at 32 years old, he was um, he was radically transformed and that um, that re Christ became the preoccupation of his life. Um, it's it's interesting that over the course of the years um, that um Lewis was was impactful for so many and even mere Christianity as a book came about because he was doing something for the nation of Britain um, in the in, in 1941 in the heat of World War II and so at a time when the nation was really um, struggling with depression when they were under attack when the world seemed to be coming apart Lewis set about with uh, British Broadcasting Company, BBC Radio, to, to begin these 15-minute segments that became the book Mere Christianity. And he was literally speaking to the hearts of Britons who were um, who had lost hope and, and who, were, um, who were feeling um, put upon and, and, and scared. And, and ultimately, they felt like the world as they knew it was coming apart. Um, they were being attacked on their own soil. They were they were seeing um, their young men die, and uh, and and thought that that maybe in a lot of cases that all hope was lost. And and Lewis wanted to speak a word of hope um, to the British people, and this really became a appointment listening for much of the nation of England. And there were many people that that renewed their faith or began to follow Jesus for the first time as a result of this radio address and the hope that they found.
in the things that 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 ultimately became the book um, mere christianity lewis begins uh, book one with uh with this declaration he said everyone has heard people quarreling um People argue by making excuses about why they deviated from some standard of decent behavior um, that quarreling parties hold in common. Um, Lewis points out the fact that that we argue with each other and our arguments with one another are evidence of the fact that we accept that there's a standard, um, that there's something that we hold in common that is that's a standard of measurement and that relativism doesn't really operationally functionally exist. Um, he, he says that, um, you know, that that ultimately there is this law of human nature or this moral law, as he calls it in the beginning of the book. And again, remember, he's writing to skeptics. He's writing to people that don't necessarily um, embrace a, a theistic worldview, certainly don't em- embrace a biblical worldview. And, and so he begins by the the fact that there was there's this general moral law that um that, that governs everyone and everything. He says, that's how we know uh, we can take right action and how we know what wrong action is, uh, even though when we do wrong things, th- that we know that there's an alternative that's right and decent and fair. And, and, and he makes the argument that, that reasonably, people all over the world in, in very disparate places all um, know this same moral law without you know, needing to be taught it. Um, we know that, for instance, it's always wrong to murder, right? Like the the sin of murder is is wrong. Now he he actually is is very astute and says, you know, that um, that culture and historic variation um, they play into our morality, but really um, downplays that and says that these these culturally specific situations that there still is an overarching general morality um, that exists in the world and that no culture has really ever um, valued um, selfishness or self-centeredness, but but there's a sense in which that, that we're devoted to something else. Um, and, and sometimes that, that something else may be interpreted as others. But the fact is that, um, that there's a there's a moral code that that pervades every culture. Um, Lewis goes on to state that this universal inborn moral law um, governs mankind, mankind people the same way that um, the laws of gravity uh, govern the material universe. But the difference between uh, the moral law and and the irrefutable laws of physics of the universe uh, is that we have um, the ability to choose whether or not to obey the moral law. We can't choose to obey or not to obey gravity. It just is. but but there is this law that's been been given that that we can make active decisions to be able to um, to move away from and that we know that at, at all times in all places, people do things that they shouldn't do. Um, they they sometimes fail to know what they ought to do, that um, that though there is this this general sense of a foundation of the law that we that we um 
that, that pervades society that we make conscious choices all the time um, to ignore what seems to be right or, or what we know in our hearts to be right in order to do other things. And, and Lewis says that that really proves the fact that there is a law, that there is a standard. And he's going to really use that as a way to, to reinforce the idea that there's also um, a standard giver. Now, having argued for the existence of a universal standard that we didn't learn from anywhere else, this moral law, he, he goes in and, and chapter two of book one to talk about some exceptions. First of all, he addresses the idea that people might say, well, uh, we're just governed by a herd mentality, that there's a sense that we that we just um, we we act out of instinct that we that we respond and and that there's a there's some level of commonality to our response but but that it's not really based on on any sort of a law or or any sort of a standard it's it's just merely um a, a knee-jerk reaction what what he says is um that that regardless of um, the fact that we may be acting sometimes in in instinct, the fact is that human beings all the time act upon their moral convictions in ways that fly in the face of um, their self-preservation instincts. And so there are, there are times all the time where where people act in the interest of what's right, of what's wrong, of what they believe or what they what they see to be noble. That there's that they act according to a standard, even when it violates their self-interest, and and that we can look around and see so many good things in the world, and that those good things are are a reflection of um, responding to the the law of God. You know, if we pause for just a second and and kind of think a little bit about. God's word, um, Lewis is writing right in line with what the scriptures tell us about uh, the law of God. In, in Romans 2, 14 and 15, it says, when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Remember, in chapter one of Romans, Paul talks about this idea that that there's not a human being on the planet that's without excuse with regard to um, pursuing God and ultimately understanding the gospel. And the reason for that is, is because there's so much of God and his order and his creative intent um, and his and his mercy and his grace that's wound up in creation that were we not so irrevocably broken and were we not so captivated by our sin that that we should go looking for God because his fingerprints are all over and around us. And that's what Lewis is trying to say here is, is that, the, that, this, the, that the moral law, that the organization of the universe, that the way God has put things together, both physically but also um, spiritually and emotionally and, and, and with regard to morality, that, that God has created um, a way of being that reflects him and, and that it's burned into the hearts of people, even if people reject it and run away from it. Um, Proverbs 14, 12 and Proverbs 16, 25 are, are, are direct quotes there. It's the same wording. It says there's a way that seems right to man, to a man, but the end is the way to death. In other words, that there is this moral law, but even following or, or attempting to follow the moral law, the, the scriptures tell us is is leading us 
you know, ultimately leads us toward death. And so Lewis reiterates that the moral law, um, it, it can't be an instinct because there's no single instinct that lines up ever um, infallibly with what the law requires, that at times the law asks us to suppress our instincts, at times it asks us to um, to, to press into those instincts and the moral law is something completely different than um, just our, our, um, our base reactions. Um, he also um, objects to this idea of, of the moral law as a learned social convention that, that ultimately um, the moral law and the standard of morality in the universe is not merely or in the world is not merely come from us walking behind our parents and other people and adults who show us the way and that we just mimic what they do. Um, that um, that ultimately there's a real truth, and he says it belongs to the same class as mathematics, um, that we learn rules about decent behavior from other people. Um, but some of this, some of that is arbitrary and their social customs and they're different. But there is this core of a moral law that runs through um, every culture and, and is distinct. And it's not merely um, kind of based on the social test or based on the social taste. And for us as Christians today, I think this is an, an, a particularly important point because we live in a world that tells us over and over and over that there are two things that we primarily should pay attention to and two things that have authority. One of them is ourselves, that we're supposed to choose in our, be our best interest. We're supposed to look out for, for our own good, um, that, that each person is, is an autonomous moral agent that has no responsibility to anyone else, that you're just supposed to do what feels good with what makes you happy. You can be whatever gender you want to be. You can, you can live in whatever circumstance you want to, and that none of that has anything to do with who God is. The other, um, the other category or the other thing that we're supposed to look to according to our world for authority is society. It's whatever everybody together decides is good or bad or, um, or praiseworthy that, that ultimately the social test is, is the thing that's important. And so we live kind of caught between, um, between these two shifting sands, one based on, on looking out for ourselves and, and trying to take care of ourselves, but then also um, some things being governed by what the what the largest group of people or the most important or the most powerful group of people or whoever it is, but some group in society defining what's right and wrong. In both instances, that's setting up a world where either we can be self-determining or we're self-determining together as a group. Lewis is saying that's absolutely garbage. <laughs> that that ultimately that there's there's a way to life and there's a way of living and there's a structure to the universe and God has creative intent in that and that we're to live um, according to and to follow this this moral law which ultimately we know has been further revealed in the scriptures and has further been revealed in the law. And we know that leads to then as the Bible tells us that this law that God has given is not sufficient to bring us to God. It's not sufficient to solve our sin problem. But ultimately, when we live according to the law, when we live according to this morality, what we find out is it's not enough. 
that, that ultimately that, that we can't live up to the standard that God's placed. And so we need Jesus in order to in, in, in order to be able to provide for us that we need the salvation that comes through the death of Jesus and through the resurrection of Jesus. And it's the work of Jesus that ultimately qualifies us, not our adherence to this moral law. But the existence of the moral law is is a is a profound indicator. It, it's a point that helps us to see that the world cannot be without a creator and a sustainer. And the law testifies to the to the essence of God and ultimately to to the glory of God. And, and so I think today, you know, we, we see in our world um, so many times that there's there's this sense and it creeps into into Christian thinking. This 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 idea of, of autonomy and, and this idea that we are somehow self-determining, it creeps into the church. It creeps into our own hearts. It, it creeps into our decision making. It creeps into our perspective. The idea that there is that there's a social norm and that that social norm is authoritative or what the world says or what some group of people define as right or wrong is somehow a standard for us. It creeps into our lives. We begin to think relativistic even when we know the truth of the fact that the world's not built on a relativistic um, backbone. And so I think, I think for us, there's a word to skeptics in mere Christianity, but I think for those, in the, those of us in the church, those of us that are following Jesus, there's a word to us as well to beware, um, to be wary of, of, of and, and beware of, of the allure of falling prey to following something that ultimately isn't grounded in in the culture and the sufficiency and 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 ultimately in the person of who our God is and that when we reject and and we we buy into uh, and even we act in ways that that support the fact that there's there's a relative morality out there and that good and bad shift and change and become and evolve that what you and I as Christians do is we ultimately unwittingly validate to a world that's dying to know Jesus and 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 dying apart from Jesus, we we help to validate to them that their way of thinking is better than than ultimately God's creative intent. And so, I want to encourage you today just to to think in terms of um, how we look at the absolutes of the universe, how we look at the absolutes of God's character, and that we dedicate ourselves and become and and remain a people who focus um, wholeheartedly on pursuing and, and knowing and, and living toward a God who is a moral lawgiver, who, who has given the template and, 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 and given the way through his moral law and that we, that we live to his word in, in ways that show that we believe that God really has the authority that we know that he has. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.